Good morning, everyone. So we're continuing in our series on life hacks, and today we're talking about how to get rich. Now, uh, for, for those of you who are a little alarmed at that, uh, calm down, don't, don't worry. I, I think you'll be happy with what I've got to share with you this morning. But I'm going to just say this. We have watched over the past few years the stream of people flooding into Europe from Africa, from Asia, parts of the Middle East. Uh, they're basically coming from everywhere so they can come to the West. And there's only one reason why they're doing that. It's because they know that if they can get to the West, it's a way that they can get rich or at least they can have a better lifestyle. They can get the education. They can get the medicine. They can get whatever it is that they need in order to advance. In short, they understand that in the West is their hope. Now, my great-grandparents, at the end of the 1800s, came to Canada, leaving the, the port of Liverpool, and they ended up in, in Manitoba, in a place called Miami. Now, I wish it was the other Miami, <laughs> because then I would right now be speaking to people in Florida. But it was Miami, Manitoba, where my, where my ancestors settled, and it was with the hope of having a great future, a better future. This has been the story of multiplied millions of people who've come to Canada with the belief of the hope that life would be good. The, the feeling is that, that the West is a place where there's wealth. Now, it's true to a certain degree that, that this is a place of wealth. Uh, we've, we're a country full of resources. But many of these third world nations where people are leaving are also wealthy. There are also great resources there. The question is this is why, why has the West so much more advanced? Why is the West so much wealthier? This has been a source of fascination for me over the past 30 years, and I have studied and read um, uh, all kinds of articles and books on the subject, uh, reading about the Protestant work ethic, um, a fantastic book that I read recently called uh, Trust, Business at the Speed of Trust, basically talking about what trust is and the importance of it for our economy. Now, here's the thing. Trust, the simple concept called trust, is actually a Judeo-Christian idea, at least the, the way that we operate in trust is a Judeo-Christian idea. And economists say that it's this trust that has made it possible for our economy to grow the way it has. Trust has been the grease that has lubricated our economy and made it possible for us to grow the way we have. And basically, it goes like this. If you can trust me and I can trust you, then we can do business together. In fact, the greater the trust that you have in me and the greater the trust you have, I have in you, the greater the opportunities for us to advance and to do great, wonderful things. Do you know, there was a time when people would do, would do business, and in fact, would... would have a contract based on a handshake. They would hand, they'd shake hands on it and say, it's a done deal. And those, those contracts were incredible because a person, rather than break, that, break their word or break that, that handshake contract, would rather go broke or rather suffer themselves rather than make the person that they're doing business with suffer. And it's, it's, it's this sort of trust that's made it possible for, for, 
for the Western nations, particularly Canada and United States and many Western countries. It's, it's this trust that's made it possible for our economies to grow the way they have, and it's made our countries extremely attractive to nations that don't have what we have. Um, when Gloria and I were living in Greece, we discovered that this was a nation of people that didn't trust each other. Uh, the, the, the thing that, that, that the Greek people really admired was the guy that was able to do business and was able to, to, to rip off the other guy and get away with it. That was a man that was, was greatly respected. They, they respected the ability to dodge the tax man. And, and so today we're seeing the effects of that in Greece. We're seeing an economy that's on the verge of bankruptcy. In fact, for all intents and purposes, is already, in fact, bankrupt. Here in the West, we, we labor or we, we live under this idea that, that I have to live in a trustworthy manner. However I live, whatever I do, it's got to be in a manner that is trustworthy. In other words, I can't break my word. And the people I do business with, I assume, are also not going to break their word. Now, back a few years ago, uh, business began to boom on the internet. Some of you will remember when eBay first came out. How many, how many remember those days? And I thought to myself, there's no way that eBay is ever going to take off. Because basically what's happening is that people bring their things that they want. Say, if I had a pair of glasses, I want to sell them on eBay. All i got to do is take a picture of it, post it on eBay, and then tell people how much I want, and please bid on it. And then whoever wins, all they have to do is send me their money, and then I will send them my glasses. I thought, that's not going to work. I mean, can people really trust each other? And the fact of the matter is, is that it really happened. People were sending money to total strangers, hoping, believing, assuming that they would trust that total stranger to, in fact, then send to them whatever it is that they were buying. It's trust. Now... My message this morning is not about trust, it's about how to get rich. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have already established that we live in a, in a wealthy nation. In fact, if you live here in North America, you are, in fact, rich. And if you want to get rich, well, all you have to do is move to the West, move to a Western nation. I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing now because obviously there are many wealthy people in many parts of the world, including third world countries. But for the average person, if they want to get rich, they just have to come to a country like Canada, work hard, be a good steward of what they've earned, and they will, in fact, do well. In the community that Gloria and I live in, we moved into it seven years ago. It's a relatively new community. Uh, almost everybody up and down our street, on every street around us, is, they're all recent immigrants. have just come from either India, Africa, uh, the Philippines, uh, almost all of them. They've worked hard, they've been good stewards of what they've got, and now, for all intents and purposes, they're rich. So now I've answered the question this morning, how to get rich, all you have to do is move to North America, and away you go. So you can all go home now. You say, well, hold on a minute, Pastor Alan. You said you're going to tell us how to get rich. I, I don't think I'm rich. Now let me ask you the qu question in in response to your question, you're not rich compared to who? Compared to Donald Trump? I was just recently in Tanzania, and I'm going to tell you this, that compared to so many of the people that I was dealing with there, I actually felt like Donald Trump in terms of how 
rich I was compared to where they're at. I'm better looking than Donald Trump and, and got better hair. <laughs> but when you stop to consider, when you stop to consider what we have compared to the rest of the world, we have to admit that we are, in fact, already rich. Did you know that if you earn $48,000 a year, then you are in the top 1% of wage earners around the world? $48,000 a year, and you're in the top 1%. And for some of you, your household income combined, $48,000, one of you in your family maybe makes that or more. And if you're not making $48,000, or you're living, making twenty, even $20,000, you're still within the top percentiles in terms of, of wage earning and having income. You, we, are, we are a wealthy nation. So maybe a better question for us to ask this morning is not how to get rich, but rather how to be rich. And so Paul answers this question when he sends a letter to Timothy, his young, uh, young mentee, if you will. Paul was his mentor. And here's what Paul says to Timothy in his letter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19. And Paul says this, teach those who are rich in this world, and that would be you and me. Would you tell the person beside you, you're rich? Go ahead, tell them that. Yeah. So that came as a surprise to some of you. You didn't know that, uh, but you'll be able to go home from church today, phone your friends, your neighbors, and say, I found out today I'm rich, and uh, throw a big party, celebrate in the manner of Trump <laughs> or whatever you've got. But teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So the first thing we recognize from this instruction from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and I think we, all of us here recognize then that we have to put ourselves in that category. When Paul says, teach those who are rich, he's actually speaking to people here in Winnipeg at Cross Church. We are rich. And by the way, I would suggest that if you don't believe me, that you, what you need to do is you need to get uh, get, get on an airplane and go to a third world country and you will discover really quickly how very blessed we are, how very much we have. But understand this. God has entrusted it to us for a reason. So Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. This is what the Bible says. So a few things to be clarified before we talk about how to be rich. When I talk about how to be rich, I'm talking about how you and I need to live as rich people because we are rich. First thing you need to understand that it is by God's grace that you have what you have. You have what you have by God's grace. It has been entrusted to you. Now one of the great questions that I had as a young man, I became a Christian my parents were not followers of Christ, uh, but I became a Christian. I'd been going to church and heard the truth, and the truth just resonated with me, and I knew that I wanted to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. 
And I remember feeling at that moment, just feeling uh, like I had all the love of heaven flow down upon me. I felt all the weight of my sin leave me. And you've heard me talk about this many, many times, and I love to tell you it over and over again. But that moment when Jesus Christ took away my sin and made me clean, I remember feeling such a relief. And I really, really felt, now this is going to maybe make you laugh, I don't know, but don't laugh too hard at me, please, I'm not feeling well. I really felt that I was maybe one of God's favorite kids. Okay, because somehow, some way, God found me. My parents weren't even serving God, but somehow, some way, God found me, and I'd become a Christian. And I felt, you know, God's blessing upon me. I felt God's help, God's strength. I felt God's guidance in my life. My life was radically changed because Jesus Christ had come into my heart. But as I began to get older and I began to become more aware of, of people and things and circumstances around me, I mean, isn't it true when we're young, when we're little, we're so self-centered, aren't we? But as we begin to get a little older, we become aware of other people. And here's the thing, folks. I began to wonder, why me? Why should I be born in Canada, in this land of such wealth and such privilege? Why do I get to go to a good school? Why do I get to grow up in a good home? Why do I have so many of the luxuries and so many of the things that, that the majority of the world, does, 99% of the world doesn't have? Why do I get to live in a comfortable home and have a comfortable bed to sleep in? Why do I get to have such nice clothes? Why should I be here and be so privileged? Why should I have such good health when there's so many people who don't? Now, these questions really plagued me. In fact, what began to happen is I began to actually question my faith. I began to wonder, well, how can this be? Could there really be a God who could be so unfair? Because I was really thinking I was kind of one of God's favorites. I was one of the blessed kids. And, you know, when God looked down on the earth, he'd say, oh, yeah, by the way, did you see Alan there? <laughs> to the angels, he's one of my favorites. He's a good kid. He's one of, one of the best. I, I discovered that that's not the truth. In fact, the Bible says that God has no favorites. Did you know that? That might come as a shock to you, but the Bible's clear. God, God is not a God who shows favoritism. So what's the explanation then for all that God has given me? Here's how I finally found relief. I came across this passage in the book of Matthew, and I mentioned it to you last week, and I'm going to bring it up once again, Matthew chapter 25. And uh, let me just give you the background behind this verse. And Jesus tells a story of what the kingdom of God is like, of what, how, how God interacts with his people. And of course, you know the story. Jesus says the master calls his servants to him, calls three servants to him. He says, I'm going on a trip. And while I'm away, I want you to take and use what I'm giving to you. And I want you to use it and I want you to multiply it so that when I come back, I will get a good return on my investment. And so the master goes away and the first servant is given five pieces of silver. And when the master comes back, he's doubled it. And the second servant, who's given three pieces of silver, when he returns, when the master returns, he's doubled that. So now he's got six pieces of silver. And then there's a, there's a third servant. 
which I'm going to tell you about in just a moment. Now, the master is so full of praise for those first two servants, the one who doubled from five to ten pieces of silver and the one who doubled three to six pieces of silver. And here's what the master says. The master was full of praise, Jesus says. And it says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Or, in other, or else it says, I will give you even more. Let's celebrate together. It became clear to me as I read that passage of Scripture that all the, all the good that God had given me was, given to, was entrusted to me and that I was to take and use what God had given me for his glory and honor, for God's purposes. It wasn't just so that I would have a great and wonderful life. And I'm, I mean, How many have heard the term, I'm a king's kid, so therefore God should give me whatever I want so that I can just blow it all and have a ball while I'm living on earth? That is such a corrupt and wrong and evil, twisted view of Christianity. The TV evangelist will tell you that, but you're not going to hear that in Cross Church. What you and I need to understand is that you and I are stewards. We are caretakers of what God has entrusted to us. So if you've been given good health, God has given you this as a gift to be used for his purposes to help make a difference in this broken and hurting world. If God has entrusted to you great wealth and riches, God has given it to you so that you would take it and use it to make this place, this world a better place, to go and bring hope and light and truth and healing and hope for a broken and hurting world. If you've been given a high IQ, you've, you're smart, you're brilliant. Listen, this is, none of this is anything to become proud about. But humbly, we accept and we understand that what God has given to us has been given to us so that we can be a blessing to those around us. This, folks, is what true Christianity is. It means that we understand that we are stewards or caretakers of what God has entrusted to us. Maybe God has entrusted you with incredible creativity. You're a marvelous singer or musician. God has entrusted this to you so that you will use it for his glory and his honor, not for your own. But you see, Western Christianity has somehow twisted the truth so that we no longer understand that and it's become all about me. I'm going to tell you, Christianity is not about you. It's about you serving God and being a blessing to others. Someone say amen. amen. So I'm a steward. When I began to understand then that the good things that God has given to me it was not because I was a favorite child, but rather because I'm a steward and that God wants to use me and wants to use me and the gifts he's given me for his purposes. This was a game changer for me. Now suddenly I wanted to give my life completely and fully for God's great purposes. I wanted to live for God and I wanted to do God's will. I wanted to be a blessing to anybody that I came across. Folks, I began to understand that I was a steward of what God entrusted to me, to do good and to advance the kingdom of God. Now, here's what you and I need to understand this morning, especially from this passage of Scripture. The, to, the key to increasing what you have, or if we want to say, you know, speak in a vulgar tone, the key to getting rich 
is by being a good steward or a manager of what God has entrusted to you. This servant here that the master is praising that we read about here in Matthew 25, he's a, he's a, he's a faithful servant, and he was a good steward, and, and the master recognized that here's a man I can trust. And here's what I said to you last week. For many of you, you are living in poverty and going on in poverty because you have not yet learned to trust God. You have not yet come to the place where you believe that God wants to meet your needs and wants to provide for you and wants you to be a channel of his blessing to a broken world. If you fail to understand this, you're going to be like that third servant, and this is, I'm going to tell you now about the third servant. You're going to be like that third servant who took the one piece of silver And rather than multiplying it, doubling it, rather than investing it and using it to be a blessing to others, he went and he dug up the garden and he hid it. So that when the master returned, he said, the master said, where's where's the silver I gave you? And rather rather than that servant being able to say, master, look, I've doubled it, he said, let me go dig it up. And he dug up that piece of silver. He said, here, master, here's your money back. And the master said this, why didn't, you, why didn't you at least put it in the bank so it could collect interest? And we see the, the bad attitude. And this is always the problem. We have a bad attitude concerning the things that God gives us, and then we get into trouble. He had a bad attitude about Jesus, about the master, and he said, you know what, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't trust you, essentially. So I didn't want to lose it, so I hid it away, and now you can have it back. So here's the second thing you need to understand. understand. Number one, God is the one who entrusts to you what you have. And secondly, you need to put your trust in God and not in your money. Here's what happens. The master calls that third servant, the one given one piece of silver, and then it says this, then in verse 28, then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. Now, isn't that interesting? The, the servant who's got one piece of silver, that's taken away from him, and it's given to the one who's already got ten pieces of silver, and Jesus is saying, give him more. Now, here's a spirit, this is a spiritual principle that you and I need to understand, because if you want to open the floodgates of God's blessing into your life so that your needs are met, and then you can become a channel of God's blessing, you need to be like this servant who is faithful in giving and faithful in sharing, faithful in investing in the work of God. The servant, even the one piece of silver was taken away from him, and he's left in poverty. Folks, this is why there's poverty in this nation. It's because we have a poverty mentality. But those who are Christians, those who follow Jesus Christ, you and I understand that our God is a God who owns it all. And God delights in meeting your needs, and God delights in meeting the needs of others through us. But before that can happen, you and I need to have an attitude change. You you and I need to understand, first of all, that whatever we have, God has entrusted it to us. And secondly, we need to understand that we need to put our trust not in our money, but in our God. Now remember this. The God who gave it to you can also take it away from you. 
And this is why you and I need to understand and need to be in the habit of putting our faith not in the things that we have, but in our God. You say, well, Pastor Allen, how does that work out practically for me? What does that mean from day-to-day living? I'll tell you what it means. It means that you and I need to get in the habit of being givers. Because your giving demonstrates, proves, is evidence that you trust in God and not in your money. The one who is, who is stingy and hanging on to his money and hoarding it and refuses to share, refuses to give, is the one that tells me they don't trust in God, but they believe that somehow if they hoard enough money, if they keep enough money, they'll be fine. But the God who gives is the God who can take away. This is one of the great lessons that we read about in the book of Job. So this attitude change. God is the one who gives, and we need to put our trust in God and not in money. By the way, Jesus clearly tells us that you, can't, you cannot love money and God. Because if you love God, you'll hate money. If you love money, you'll hate God. That's what Jesus said. The question is this today, is who do you love? I can tell you who you love based on how you give. Now, Pastor Allen, does this mean you're going to go check the records to see how much I give? No, I'm not interested in that, but God is. That's between you and God. I don't check the giving records. I don't know what anybody gives here today. So if I look at you at the wrong time, don't be offended. It's purely accidental. But if the Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning, and you understand that you've been hoarding money, you've been loving money and not loving God, then I, I, my challenge to you today is that you would change your habits. So you adjust your attitude, and I'm asking you to ch- adjust your behavior, adjust your habits. Right around the time that Gloria and I came to Cross Church, it was, in those days it was called Weston Gospel Church, and we were over on Elgin Avenue. And a couple who had attended the church years ago, many years ago, discovered that the church had a new pastor, a new family, and they thought, you know what, it's time to go back to Western Gospel Church and let's be a blessing to the pastor and his family. And the reason I know that is because they came to me and said, hi, Pastor Allen, my name is, and I'm not going to mention the names, obviously, they shook, my, shook our hand, we want you to know that we're here to support you. And I thought, well, praise God. There's a small congregation Hardly had two nickels to rub together. I was, was hardly making any money. I thought, you know, to have another family in the church, a, a middle-aged couple, they'll have, they'll have a little bit of extra cash and to, to help us do the work that God's called us to do. And I was so thrilled, so delighted. And I took these people out for coffee, for supper. We had them to our home. And one day I was speaking about giving. Now, can I just say this? So many people, when they go to church, they don't want to hear about giving. In fact, here's what some people, we had, actually, we had a couple that used to attend our church. I'm changing the subject. Off on a rabbit trail here. Squirrel. Uh, This couple, they heard me speak on giving once, and they got really upset about that because they said, well, we're not rich enough to give, and they left the church. I haven't seen them again. But getting back to this other couple, I did, did a sermon on giving, he came up to me after the service, quite upset. He goes, well, I don't think that's biblical. I said, you don't think giving is biblical? Is anybody else appalled at that? I mean, if, if you think that the Bible does not teach giving, then you're going to have to cut out huge chunks of the Bible. Because the Bible tells us clearly that God is known as the God of love. 
And how does God express or prove his love to us? He gives. For God so loved the world that he gave. I debated with this guy forward and backward, and, and finally I said, well, what, what do you believe? He said, well, when I became a Christian, I told the Lord that it was all his. Everything I had belonged to him, and if he needed anything, he could help himself. I'd never heard that one before or since. So I said, so what you're telling me is that when you became a Christian, you told God he could have everything you have, and that if he ever needed anything, he could help himself. Yes, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I prayed, and that's what I believe. Time went on. I began to discover that this couple, uh, that we tried to continue to love, and remember, my job as a pastor is to disciple and to train and to, you know, to pray, and I, my prayer is that I can help people change and become more like Jesus and you know, all that kind of thing that pastors hope to do. I discovered that this couple was the stingiest couple I'd ever met in my life. I, my wife is babysitting. Just, we're just making ends meet. I, I've got a, we've got a family of five. Uh, hardly have two nickels to rub together. But, you know, believing that as a Christian, my job is to be generous and to give. We, would, we invited them over for a meal. Uh, never, never reciprocated. Never invited us back. Of course, I wasn't, I wasn't giving and inviting so that I would get something back. I was just doing it because I'm a Christian. Finally, one day, they said, why don't you come over to our house? I thought, oh, good. We get to go, and we get to have a meal at their house. Well, we got there hungry and discovered that, in fact, it was not for a meal. It was for coffee and a cookie. And the reason I say cookie is because she took the can of cookies out of the cupboard, passed it around. I took one. Gloria took one. I think the kids might have had one. And then she put the lid back on and put it back in the cupboard. Now, I never saw the can of cookies ever again. <laughs> and I was thinking I was going to get at least two cookies out of that deal. Got none. This is the way they lived their life. As time went on, I would get calls from them all the time. Oh, Pastor Allen, we're, you know, we're in trouble financially, and I've got trouble. My job, my, you know, like, nothing's working out, and I don't have enough, and can you help us out? Like, so now, Gloria and I, nothing, are helping out a middle-aged couple. Both have jobs. And they never have enough money, and they can't do the things they want to do. At first, I felt angry, but then God said, Alan, this is something I want you to learn. And that is this, is that when you and I put our trust in God and believe that God will keep his word by caring for us and meeting our every need, here's what you and I need to know, is that God will never let us down. And even though we were a blessing and helped this couple out and fed them and took care of them and took them for lunch and for breakfast and for coffee, guess what? We were never in need. We were never in need. All our needs were met. Now, the interesting thing is that this, to this day, this couple still thinks that we're their best friends. And I, I'm going to tell you this. You can only get so close to stingy people, people who are not generous, people who are self-centered. But this is the way it is with people who've got a poverty mentality. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, then you do not have a poverty mentality. You have what we call an abundance mentality. Because you believe, you put your faith in the God who's promised to meet your every need. Look at this next verse. 1 Timothy 6.18. It says, tell them. This is the Apostle Paul saying to Timothy, tell the rich people. Who are the rich people? Just say me. Who are the rich people? Uh, this side is very rich. This side's, this side, they're poor, very poor over there. Who are the rich people? That's not bad. That's getting a bit better. So Paul says, tell the rich people. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. This was a game changer for me. Because I was one of those pastors, and still am at times, one of those pastors who was embarrassed to ask people to give because I didn't want to get people mad, and I didn't want people to think that I was just like the TV evangelists who spend 50% of the airwaves asking for money and the other 50% doing who knows what. I began to be proud to ask and proud to give. This is why at our church we teach in the seven habits that you need to give. Some of you know I was just in Tanzania. I had the pleasure, the joy of teaching 31 African leaders from amongst the poorest nations in Africa. I, they, I was asked to go and teach the seven habits. And that's the, the seven habits are the, the seven behaviors that, that Christians need to live, need to practice on a regular basis. I came to that seventh habit, and I thought to myself, what do I do? Because I'm talking to people who are poor, people who have nothing. The fact that they were in Tanzania at that conference was for most of them a miracle. It would take over a year's salary for them to, to actually catch a flight and come to that conference. So I'm telling you, I'm talking to people. I mean, for me, to them, I was like Donald Trump. But like I said, better looking. And I'm standing before them, and I say, think to myself, how can I ask these people to give? And I'm praying about this and saying, God, should I, should I tone it down a little bit? Should I not be so, so, uh, so, so hard-lined on this? You know what God said to me? He says, what does my word say? What does it say in the scripture? So I said, okay. Okay. I'm going to do exactly what the Bible says. I'm going to teach people. And so I began to teach these African leaders who, again, have nothing. I mean, nothing. And as I begin to speak, I'm telling you, it was like I was at a revival meeting. Everybody's clapping and nodding and, yes, that's right, and preach it, pastor. And I'm teaching, preach it, pastor. Because they understand that the essence of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that you are a giver. And when you are a giver, what happens, folks, is you are most like God when you give. Because God is a giver. And these sharp, sharp, poor, but they would call themselves rich. These poor leaders, these rich leaders, understand how critical, how important it is to be a giver. Now, I want you to understand something about the early church. The hallmarks of the early church is that they were compassionate, full of compassion. You know what I mean by compassion? 
That word compassion from the Greek, which means right in your guts. It's, you feel that love right in your guts. It's like a mother holding that child, and you just feel it right in your, right in your tummy. When you feel your child is, is falling down and hurt himself, and you actually feel the pain inside, that's the kind of compassion I'm talking about that gets you right in the guts. The early church is full of compassion and full of generosity. Here's what we read about the early church, the early days of the church of Jesus Christ is in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 to 35. Listen, this will blow your mind. It says, there were no needy people among them. That's what it says about that early church. There were no needy people among them. You would look high and low, but surely there's got to be a needy person around here somewhere. And, and they're saying, no, there wasn't. There wasn't even one. Why? It says here in verse 34, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give it to those in need. That, my friends, is the roots of Christianity. This is, this is the roots of the early church. This is how we began, as a generous people, compassionate and generous. And here's the attitude that goes with it. Verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. And it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. Did you hear that? United, not divided. Wasn't the Baptist versus the Pentecostal? Nothing like that going on, folks. Or the Catholics versus the Protestants. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And watch this. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. Well, folks, I want you to recognize something about Christianity. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, what happens is this. Is that you say, God, I give you my life and everything I own, I give it to you. And God says, great. Thank you very much. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it back to you to take care of it. You are now going to become a caretaker or a steward. And not only does God give us back to us what we give to him, but God entrusts more and more to us as he can trust us. Now the question is this today, can God trust you? If God tries to pour blessing into your life and pour his wealth into your life so that you can in turn bless others, can he trust you with that? For some of you, it just stops at you. I mean, look at look what God's doing for me. It's all mine, it's mine. Does anybody remember Daffy Duck? And Bugs Bunny going after that, going into Aladdin's cage. David, you remember this. And they find the, the wealth, and somehow Daffy Duck is shrunk, and you hear him in a, a tiny little voice, pearls, pearls, pearls. And he's, he's, it's like that's all he's got to live for. And that's how so many of us are. Man, we just think, oh, it's all for me, it's for my, myself. And God is saying there's no joy in that. There's no life in that. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that what they may experience, so that they may experience true life. Just before I left for Tanzania, we took up a love offering here at the church because we've got two friends in Africa. We've got Prince in Tanzania, who's a, an evangelist, and we've got Delson, who's the Village of Hope director in Burundi. And I just said, Would you, friends, family, because we're, we're family. Everybody knows we're a family here, right? And we've got family over in Africa. We've got family around the world. And I said, we've got to take care of our brothers in Africa. Would you help me out? And I was just astounded when 
when we counted what came in. Because it wasn't a regular offering. I just asked you to come put money in baskets. Whatever you got in your pocket, come put it in a basket, and I'll take it to them. And I was able to bring each of them 475 US dollars each. Absolutely astounding. That was just pocket change. That's what you had in your pockets. It's amazing how much money is in this room right now. Little did we know that Prince's mother had become very sick. And as an evangelist, he just depended on offerings. And the money that we brought to him was money that he needed right, right at the moment that he needed it. And I think to myself, God knew Prince's need in Tanzania, and he moved on our hearts here in Winnipeg so that we could bring it to him thousands and thousands of miles away. When I got back to Winnipeg, I got a, an email from Delsa, and here's what he says. He says, hi, Pastor, we're all thankful for the love, the care, and the teachings that we were indeed blessed with. Prince or Adelson was at the conference in Tanzania. He says, a big thank you to Cross Church for the love offering. We appreciated very much the gift. May the Lord never forget the la this labor of love. And so Delson, on behalf of Delson, I want to say thank you to this congregation for your compassion and for your generosity. Last fall, we asked the people of this church to contribute to various projects, to Bags of Hope, to Bibles for Burundi, for hampers for families up north in Garden Hill. We wanted to bless the Bible college professors and we wanted to bless the teachers in, in the schools in our community. Did you know that over, over and above our regular uh, giving for those in need and for their, our work overseas, do you know that we were uh, able to raise over $30,000 last fall? Absolutely thrilling, <laughs> astonishing. And it's the way it should be, because that's who we are. It's what, what it means to be a church. It means that our love compels us to give. Folks, the way to be rich is to be ridiculously generous in our giving. The Bible says be rich. Could you go back to verse 18, please? Be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This fall, folks, we want to do the same thing that we did last year. We want to raise, I'm hoping we'll be able to raise at least 30,000, maybe more, so that we can bless our community. We can bless our teachers, bless the people up in Garden Hill. I'd love to be able to bless some of the people in Africa you know, it's one of the uh, house mothers. She's a mother in one of, a, one of the orphanages in Kenya. After, on the last day after I spoke about giving, I thought, I don't know how they're going to take it. She came up to me and she thanked me and thanked me and thanked me for sharing about giving. She says, my great thanks goes to the Almighty Father for giving me the opportunity to sincerely say that I'm really blessed with the sessions. Those are the sessions on the seven habits. And I believe I will never remain the same. Isn't that fantastic? My request is that you would uh, keep me in mind and be my prayer partner so that I can see God's miraculous hand working upon me. Isn't that fantastic? Kindly requesting that you remember these prayer requests for ministry that God would help me serve him 
wholeheartedly with my soul, mind, and strength. The Lord would increase my faith so that there would be a breakthrough being a single mother and that God would help the children that he gave me to care for. I uh, received that, but, and I felt like crying when I received it because we're talking about a woman who is literally laying down her life. We talk about giving our time, our treasure, and our talent. Here's a woman giving everything to care for little orphan kids that have been essentially rejected, forgotten about. And I, as a representative of this church, get to go and meet her and receive thanks but more importantly than that, to see her praise God. Because of your generosity. Folks, when you and I give, what you you need to understand is that we change the world. The ugliness of this world is turned back when you and I say, God, here am I. Use me. God, here am I. I want to give. I want to change this world. That's all it takes for you and I to be willing to give. Would you stand with me, please? Do you know, when we put the giving center in the church here, some people said, Pastor Allen, you're going you're to make people angry. You're going to give people a wrong message. When they come through the doors and they see a giving center, they're going to think, that's all the church cares about is money. I'm telling you, folks, I'm not the one who came up with that idea. I first heard about it from Jesus. That's right. You heard me right. Jesus mentions that widow who out of her poverty gave everything she had. She put in those two, her two last coins in order to make a difference in the needs of others. We have a giving center so that you have opportunity to give and to share and to make a difference in people's lives. I'm not monitoring it. Nobody's monitoring it. I'm not checking to see what you give. But we have it there as an opportunity for you to share and to give to others who are in need. And I want to just encourage you. Get in the habit of sharing so that you would learn what Paul tells us we need to learn in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Would you put that up one more time? 1 Timothy 6, 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to put their trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God. Look at this, folks. Watch. Because some of you are worried about giving. You're not going to have enough. Watch this. Their trust should be in God, who rich, read it with me, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Do you trust God today? Then start to give and watch the riches begin to pour into your life. Father, thank you for the privilege it's ours to serve you. We thank you for the excellent teaching in your word that shows us how to live in this life. God, we confess to you that we uh, don't give anything near enough. When we consider what you've given to us, giving us Jesus Christ as our Savior. God, we recognize there's so much more that we can do. So God, we give ourselves to you today, asking for the grace and the strength to give. 
And God, we know from your word that even as we give, you will provide for us, you'll meet our every need, we'll have everything that we need for our enjoyment. And we thank you for that promise in Jesus' name. And everyone say it with me. Tell the person beside you, you are rich.